Well, uh, as I mentioned, Ephesians chapter 6, and I'd like to read verses 18 through 20 again. Again, as I said this morning, I realize actually the sentence in our English Bibles begin there in verse 17, and it goes down through verse 20, but breaking away from that, knowing that we did look at the uh, fact of the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God last time, that is last Lord's Day, We will begin then in verse 18, reading, Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. And for me, that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in bonds, that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Our main thought, though, will be taken from verse 18. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Now, if you recall this morning, we dealt just briefly with verse 18. We actually kind of did an introduction to the very nature of what prayer is. And we got into that a little bit about praying, the need, the necessity for praying, what prayer is, and how that it is a benefit to the people of God. And we even looked a little bit at the verse itself, praying, and it would include, as he notices here uh, with his phraseology of this, he says, praying always with all prayer. And so he's serious about this matter of our praying. And you notice he says supplication in the Spirit. And the idea of praying in the Spirit is not some charismatic experience. But it happens to do with allowing or letting the Word of God to be our guide as to how we're to pray, what manner we're to pray. And even in the circumstances and such things of what we're to pray and how we're to pray and so forth. So again... um, need to be careful with how we interpret such things as that. So let's move on in our text. And we want to consider this evening uh, praying always with our prayer and to see then to whom we are to pray for. Notice again, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication. And now we see for whom and that is for all saints. So. If we, again, were to catechize you here this evening and say, who are we to pray for? The answer would be, for all saints. That is, the household of God in general. Those who, as it were, name the name of Christ. We are to exercise prayer over them. And it's not just in private sense or in a uh, family setting or a public setting, but in all senses we are to, at certain times and in certain places, then to pray for all saints. So, however we pray, and in what manner we pray, and for whom we pray for, we need to realize that this is a petition that needs to be coming forth from us, that we are to pray for all saints. Now, the word all there, I hope you understand, doesn't mean every single individual. Uh, Without exception, we don't pray for saints who are in heaven. So that would be no need. So the word all here is restrictive. It certainly wouldn't mean saints that you've never met or never heard of in that sense. So, again, it is speaking most likely here in the context of those whom we know, those whom we are familiar with, and those even whom we have our particular dealings with 
perhaps on either a weekly or a daily basis. So I think it is restrictive here. You say, oh, how can the word all be restrictive? Well, once again, um, not understanding all that has to say about the word of God and dealing with the word all itself. I would give you an exor- a challenge or an exhortation to go through the scripture and see that. And you'll see that the word all doesn't necessarily mean all without exception. The Bible, for instance, just says all men have not faith. Well, if all men without exception have not faith, there is not a single individual here in this room tonight who has faith. Because the Bible says all men have not faith. So, we cannot take the word there all to mean everything without exception. Well, the context would render this uh, more so towards the people of God, especially those whom we have contact with. So the point of this is, no matter how you look at it then, is that we're to bring our brethren before the throne of grace and as it were lay them there to have their, our prayers answered in regards to them. In Second Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 3, Paul says, we are bound to thank God always for you brethren as it is meet because that your faith groweth exceedingly, and the charity of every one of you all toward each other aboundeth. And the reason I brought that up was for two reasons. One, he says he was bound to do it. And then secondly, notice to whom it's in, re- it's in reference to. It's to those whom Paul had dealings with. That is the church there at Thessalonica. But the point here is, he was bound to do it. He felt constrained to pray for the brethren that he had uh, espoused unto Christ, who had some kind of a church relationship unto them, and so he was bound to do so. Why was he bound to do so? Well, we see, well, obviously, because uh, it's in the text. We're to pray for all men. But as we said this morning, we already see the command, so let's bring it down a little bit closer to the meaning of the text here. Why should we pray for saints, that is, the people of God, especially those whom we know? Well, first of all, God's people are the spe- should be the special object of our love. Of all people that we ought to love, we ought to love the brethren. In fact, there is something uh, wrong with our faith. There is something wrong with our hearts, brethren, if there is not a love for and to the brethren. And one of the ways that this love is going to be expressed towards our brethren is to remember them in our prayers. And so if you love the brethren, you will pray for them. And as I said, we in particular, we ought to think of ourselves here just to let you know once again. And I don't say this boastingly, but as I was trying to explain to the men uh, Saturday morning, make sure you tell the brethren that you pray for them because Paul does this all the time. Well, in the back of my Bible, you'll see... Pointing out here that you all are written there so that I could pray for you on a regular basis as I open the word of God to uh, to myself. Even there you are in blue, red and black. You all in there and I pray for you on a regular basis so I can say I fulfill that responsibility here, at least in this context to the brethren here praying for all saints. The saints that I have dealing with. The saints that I have contact with. And why do I do so? Not only because it is my job and I'm commanded to pray for you, as Acts 6 tells me, but also because I love you. As you are loved of God and you carry that image of God within you that's been renewed, well, then my heart goes out to that. And so should yours. So you should pray one for another, if I'm commanding you here tonight, according to verse 18. We're to pray for the brethren for the reason that we love them. And we love them because 
They are the objects of God's special love. He loves us. That's why we love him. And that's why we love them. Another reason why we ought to pray for one another is because we are the proper heirs to the promises of God. You say, okay. What does that got to do with anything? Well, listen to it again. That we are the proper heirs to the promises of God. Remember what we said that praying in the Spirit was? It was taking the Word of God and using it as the guidelines of how we should pray and how we should not pray. One of the things the Bible has promised us is that when we pray according to His will, what does it say? He heareth us. Okay, putting two and two together here tonight. If we are the proper heirs of the promises of God, thus then when we pray for the brethren in the Spirit, that is according to the Word of God, we are sure to be heard. Isn't that an exciting thing? That when I pray for the brethren whom I know that God loves and the promises are to them and for them in Christ Jesus and all of that, thus then when we pray in accordance to the will of God, we know that God hears us. That ought to be a very encouraging reason to pray, hadn't it? If that doesn't make sense to you, ask me later. Thirdly, this is a generation alone that will bring honor to God. It won't be the reprobates, brethren. It will be the people of God in the special sense that I mean by honoring God. So, pray for one another. That we would do things that will be honorable unto God. That we would be kept from sin and temptation. That we would pray for the needs one of another. That we all might glorify God in this body. Another reason is because of the fact, similar to number one, but on a different note, we are members one of another. The Bible often speaks of the the people of God, especially in a local sense, as a body. And we are in union one with another. And just as I have a body, I'm concerned about my hand. I'm concerned about my head and my middle section and all those other parts that I have. They're they're dear to me. I want to take care of them. I don't abuse them, all that sorts of thing. And so there is that relationship, that figure that is used in Scripture. The Bible says we are the body of Christ and members in particular. And each of us are necessary to the whole part of the body. And thus then, as we are members one of another, then it would do well for us then to pray one for another. Just as you have care for certain parts of your body, we ought to have care for the body of Christ. The book of 1 Corinthians, for instance, teaches us this. And 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Notice he says, in beginning in verse 20, he says... But now are they many members, yet one body? And the eye cannot say unto the hand, I have no need of thee, nor again the feet to the head, I have no need of you. Nay, much more those members of the body, which seem to be more feeble, are necessary. And those members of the body, which we think to be less honorable, upon these we bestow more abundant honor, and our uncomely parts have more abundant comeliness. For our comely parts have no... Need, But God hath tempered the body together, having given more abundant honor to that part which lacked. That there should be no schism in the body, but that the members, notice this, 
that the members should have the same care one for another. Now, he's been back and forth here speaking of this imagery or this analogy of the human body and the necessity of our bodily parts with the church and the necessarily of the bodily parts of the particular church. There are some whom are more honorable than others and there are others who are less honorable, some that way. And so he says we spend more time with the those who need more attention than we do with someone else. And so here's the point. Again, we are to pray. We are to think in this light. Notice verse 25, but that the members should have the same care one for another. It is to be spread abroad, isn't it? And whether one member suffer, what are we to do? All the members suffer with it. Or whether one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now ye, notice verse 27, now ye are the body of Christ and members in particular. So that's why we are bound then, brethren, to pray for another. These four things here. That God's people are the special object of our love. They are the proper heirs to the promises of God. This is the generation that will bring honor to God. And because of that close relationship that ought to be sustained among us. And we trust that is at least in some measure. Listen, if it could be sustained at Corinth with all the troubles that they have, certainly then it ought to be sustained in a church that we hope is somewhat healthy. So and sound. So let's look at it in that light. And if our in our prayers one for another, we learn here then that we're to watch and to persevere in those prayers. Notice verse 18 again. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. Now who do we pray for? We've already seen that. We pray for all the saints. Now how? What manner? Watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication. Now we see sort of the how here. We saw who, or to whom, and now to how. Well, what does the word watch here means? Children, when you see the word watch in the Bible, well, oftentimes it means to be on guard, to be careful. Just for instance, if you own some property and there had some, you had some very special objects on that property, you might have a guard who would stand, as it were, on duty to, uh, to watch for those who might come and steal. They would be on the alert. For instance, our Lord reminds our disciples of that, or the Lord, His disciples of that, in Matthew 24, in regards to praying. Matthew 24 and verse 42. He says, Watch therefore, for you know not what the... I'm sorry, not about praying. Yes, this is about the breaking in. Excuse me, I was ahead of myself on something else. Watch therefore, for you know not what hour your Lord doth come. But know this, that if the goodman of the house had known in what watch the thief would come, he would have watched and would not have suffered his house to be broken up. Therefore, be ye also ready, for in such an hour as you think not, the Son of Man cometh. Who then is a faithful and wise servant, whom his Lord hath made ruler over his household, to give them meat in due season." So the idea there, if we had something special or if we're watching for someone to come, there would be this watchfulness on guard, a readiness. And the Lord does use His disciples in that manner when He tells them they were very sleepy and He tells them to watch and to pray so that you would not fall into temptation. That's where I was going next and got ahead of myself. So the idea here, brethren, is that while we pray for all saints, we are to do it in a watchful way. Uh, how would we do that? What does that mean? A watchful way. Well, 
the fact that we are so prone sometimes not to pray one for another, aren't we? We get so caught up with our day. We get so caught up with me. We get so caught up with our families or our situations, our own circumstances, that at times we can literally forget to pray one for another. And then there's that problem. But then also we could say that there's this looking or a watching or a guarding for opportunities to pray. Prayer just doesn't happen. Remember Brother Hawkins years ago as he was preaching to us on a Wednesday night? Well, some of you would remember this. Most of you may not. But he got up and he said one of the hardest things that he has ever found in the Christian walk was to pray. And here was a man who died praying, by the way. He was up. He was in his... Uh, where he was at, where he normally prays. So we know that he was a praying man. But he admitted to the brethren that Wednesday evening that one of the hardest things to do was to pray. And I think most of us at least have felt something of that in some seasons of our lives. That it is just a difficult thing to make opportunity, whether because of tiredness of flesh or the sinfulness of the flesh, for to pray. Well, brethren, here's the... Here's the wherewithal here. Watch when you pray. Be careful. Look to the hindrances of our prayers. If you think back over the last few months of your prayer life, if you can do that, maybe that would be a good um, uh, oversight meeting question one time, sometime, would be uh, taking stock of our prayers. And uh, if you can say you've been maybe not as faithful as you ought to have been, maybe looking at some of the hindrances as to why your prayer life hasn't been what it ought to have been or why there's been a declension in your prayer life. Look at the hindrances that have caused it. What's been on your mind? What's been in the play? What's been in the circumstances that have kept you from prayer? Here again, that's the idea of watching, being on guard, looking for the hindrances. Again, knowing and seeing how much the flesh can be so weak in this duty. Remember, he told his disciples, what could you not watch with me one hour? He told them, watch and pray, he says, that you enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Consider what we've lost already by not watching in reference to prayer. How many... Time, how much time has gone by, so to speak, that we have not prayed one for another? Perhaps you're having issues with some brethren. Could it be? Just could it be? I'm not being Job's friend here and saying that's your problem. But could it be is that you're not praying like you ought towards them and for them? Could that be the issue? I'm not saying it is. I'm not saying it's not. I'm just saying these are things, brethren, we need to look to. You need to be on guard about. It's hard to pray for someone when you're angry with them, aren't you? And so that's how we need to look at these things. But notice something else in this consideration of praying always with all prayer is our perseverance in praying, and especially for others in our context as it warrants. Again, praying always, we've already seen that, with all prayer and supplication and watching thereunto with all perseverance. What does it mean to persevere? Well, children, it means to be continuing on doing it, being patient in it and, and not stopping, consistent. Look in Luke's account. In regarding to prayer itself. 
We'll read these seven verses one through seven here. Luke 18. He says, and he spake a parable unto them to this end. Now, this is a parable, so it's going to be an illustration. Thus, an illustration is not perfect. And he spake a parable unto them to this end that men ought always to pray and not to faint. Again, the very topic of the message or the point there in Ephesians verse eight, six, chapter 6, verse 18. That men are always to pray and not to faint. Saying, there, is, there was in a city a judge which feared not God, neither regarded man. And there was a widow in that city, and she came unto him, saying, Avenge me of mine adversary. And he would not for a while, but afterward he said within himself, Though I fear not God, nor regard man, yet because this widow troubleth me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. And the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge said, saith. And shall not God avenge his own elect, which cry day and night unto him, though he bear long with them? Notice the key here is not only verse 1, that the meaning of this parable is so he gives it, is so that men ought to always pray and not to faint. But we see why in verse 5. Yet because this widow troubleth me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. The words judge says, I don't care about God, I don't really care about the case, and I don't really care about this woman. But I'm going to answer her petition, because if I don't, she's going to bug me to death. Well, again, that's just an illustration of what God is trying to tell us here. We ought to be the ones who, and I say this reverently, bugging God to death with our prayer life. We are to continually set before Him the needs and the spiritual supplications for our brethren. So that's the idea here of persevering. Don't give up. Until God gives you a revelation, you ought to continue to pray one for another. And you're not going to be getting one, so pray one for another. Don't give up. Uh, I think it was uh, Samuel who said, More rest for me, God forbid, that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you. Notice that. He didn't say, I'll sin against you in ceasing to pray. But he says, I will not, or God forbid, that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you. So, brethren, our prayers for the brethren in particular are to be a continual reality in our lives. It's not just a one-time affair or when it's convenient, so to speak. We are to pray in season and out of season. Now, you say, well, how do you know it doesn't mean we're to continually and never stop praying? Praying always. Doesn't that mean you always pray? Well, again, as we take Scripture, we can see that that's not the truth of the matters. We are to pray without ceasing, but that does not mean you don't uh, sound like a contradiction here. It doesn't mean you stop. But, for instance, the Lord Jesus, uh, He was obedient in all things unto God, and He prayed, and He prayed without ceasing in the sense in which that text meant. But we also see that He did put some amens at the end of His sentences when He prayed. So He stopped. It actually says in one of the Gospel accounts, when Christ ceased praying, He came down from the So, that's not what it means, that there's just an always... You're mumbling a prayer, going through life, praying, 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 or you're in this, as some say, oh, you need to be in the spirit of prayer, whatever that is and whatever that may mean. That is not the teaching of this particular text or the text where it says pray without ceasing. It means a consistency. 
It means a continual perseverance in the things of prayer. And we're not saying that to be sloppy with how much we pray or how much we uh, ought to spend in time. I'm just saying it would be an impossibility to pray without ceasing in the sense of never stop praying. When would you sleep? You wouldn't, would you? When would you eat? You wouldn't, would you? When would you have spiritual conversations or any kind of conversation with others if you were, quote, praying without ceasing? See, it's just, it's an unrealistic and and a false interpretation of Scripture. But we are to pray. So in saying all that, I'm not giving us an excuse here this evening to be slack in our prayers. We are to pray with all perseverance. Be diligent. Be constant. Pray when you need to. Pray when you have to. Pray, he says. We gave you this morning the definition of a hypocrite, didn't we? He is one, as the Scripture describes, as one who will not always call upon God. And let that not be said of us. Let that serve as a warning to those who profess the name of Christ, even among us here this evening who think so well of their faith and of their trust, that if we don't pray in a seasonable fashion, we have no right to call ourselves the children of God. Brethren, our faith will be manifested by our fruit unto holiness. You know, the Scripture says, By their fruit you shall know them. I realize that's speaking of false teachers, but Christians are to have fruit as well, aren't they? Uh, what the Puritan says, to cease to pray, and again, they didn't mean never, not the, never, but he says, they said, to cease to pray is to begin to sin. To cease to pray is to begin to sin. How true that is, isn't it? When we lay off praying and being watchful and guardful and all those things, is it not easier to sin? Is it not easier to go back into the world and think like the world, to be in love with the world and it's easy, isn't it? Well, leave off praying and that can happen. It's in prayer, brethren, that we find grace and power to turn away from sin. The Bible says we're to pray what? Lead us not into temptation. So we're to pray again with all supplication. Now let me close with some uh, reflections upon what we've said upon the duty of prayer. Uh, first of all, let me look at it this way. We ought to pray, not only because, again, the text says so, and there's a warning there, we ought to be watchful, and we ought to do it with all perseverance. But think of this, the great privilege it is to pray one for another. We have a privilege that was given to us and purchased for us by Jesus Christ Himself. We have that free and bold access to the very throne of grace You know, the high priest could only go into the holiest of holies once a year. And what that figured was the heavenly place, God, where God was. And in that sense, he could only go once. Well, brethren, we have the privilege now of going anytime because of the purchased possession of our Lord Jesus Christ into this matter. Listen to Hebrews 10 as he speaks on this part. He says, And their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Now, where remission of of these is, there is no more offering for sin. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, 
by a new and living way which He hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, His flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God. That thing that only the high priest could do once a year, we have the privilege by Christ to come continually. In fact, we're bidden to come. Look in Hebrews 4. As Christ is our high priest. Uh, in fact, this very nature of the fact that we have this high priest. He says, seeing then, verse 14 of Hebrews 4, seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. And then that text we read this morning. Let us therefore, based on the fact that he is a, the great high priest, that he's purchased this possession for us, that he is the Son of God, who has been touched with all of our infirmities, who knows the feelings that we possess, in all points except for sin. He says then, do what? Come boldly, unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. And brethren, not just for ourselves, but as our text encourages us tonight for all saints. This is true. Verse 16 is true as we come to all saints to pray. Or when we come to Hebrews 10 and we're praying for all saints, that, tr- that passage of Scripture is true as well. The Bible says, through Him we both have access by one Spirit, that is Jew and Gentile, we both have access by one Spirit unto the Father. So let me encourage you to pray tonight because of the great purchase that has been made on our behalf to pray. What a privilege to pray. And yet, again, what do we find it? One of the hardest things to do, don't we? And yet, He's purchased it for us. Not only that, He's given the Christian the ability to pray. He's given us the ability. Remember at one time we didn't call upon God, at least in reality. And now we have the Spirit of God to help us. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. He's the one who helps us and enables us to pray. He stirs us up to pray. Takes our petitions to the throne, as it were, because of Christ. And then thirdly, we ought to pray... For one another, because God does hear our prayers. You know, it'd be one thing if we were praying to some lifeless idol uh, that could not hear or could not perform the things that we ask. And there are millions and billions of people who do that very thing this very day, tonight, who are bowing the knee to some stupid, dumb idol. I'm using biblical language. Ignorant idol, dumb idol, as the Scripture calls it, that cannot hear, cannot see, and cannot speak. But is that whom we pray to? No, we pray to a God who hears, who is alive forevermore, who is our God, who has made heaven and earth, and nothing is too hard for Him. In fact, He can hear every prayer that goes on, even if they were praying at the same moment. That's one of the things you're... Young children will ask you, how does God hear all those prayers if everyone is doing it at the same time? That's that's God. He can do that. And He can answer. That's one of the reasons we go to Him again. Because He hears us. 
And by that I mean He answers. First John 15, verse 14. We said this a little bit tonight. And this is the confidence that we have in Him. That if we ask anything according to His will, He heareth us. And if we know that He hear us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of Him. And uh, the psalmist, I think it's Psalm 115 or 116, the, the, the heathen come to David and they say, Where is your God? And he says, Our God is in the heavens. He has done so whatsoever He pleased. And then he begins to contrast his God with the false gods and the idols. And he talks about the idols that can't hear, see, smell, or talk. Well, that's not whom we worship. We worship the God who does according to His will. And as we ask our petitions according to His will, the Scripture here is, this is the promise, He heareth us. Is that not a blessing? That's First John 5, verses 14 and 15. So then, obviously, we ought to pray, Open, thou, open thy mouth wide, He says, and I will fill it. So, brethren, when we pray, we ought to realize again, not only that we have a purchased way to go, we've been given the ability, but we have a God who hears our prayers. And not only just on our own personal behalf, but as we see here tonight, on the behalf of those whom we love, the saints, the people of God.